Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by my co-host Andrew Bartram. Hello Andrew. Hello Simon. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too. And you've you've already eaten into my notes now because uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say, first of all, I want to say Happy New Year to everybody. Oh, sorry, See, uh, we should rehearse it, shouldn't we? we? We we should do, we should. But you you put me off every week anyway, so it's nothing nothing's new there. <laughs> um, uh, but I just want to say that we had a, a great time doing the show in 2019, and we had some amazing guests, and we rounded the year off with the quite wonderful Kate Miller Wilson. It was a case of yeah, we thought we've done 20, we've finished with a really good guest we really need to do another one this year and we decided no let's just take a, a few weeks off and recharge our batteries and uh, get back and uh, so we're which is exactly what we are uh, we mm. are back now we're going to do things slightly differently to how we've done things before uh, well recently at least where our guest is also effectively a co-host um, and that our guest is on a little bit of a tight schedule um, so we'll do our little catch-up as in the little chat that Andrew and I have about the things that we may have been up to in the last few weeks. We'll put that at the back of the show. So uh, so here we are, New Year, and I'm delighted uh, to say that we've got, we're going to start this year off with an industry big hitter, um, because with us tonight, we have Max Grew of the Intrepid Camera Company. Hello, Max. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me on. Happy New Year. It's great to have you have you here. Um, we we met you back at uh, in March. It's got to be last year now. Yeah, the, in Birmingham. The, yeah, it was. Yeah, at the photography show, show. And if anybody has been on on our Facebook uh, page, hmm. at the top of the page is a is a, a brilliant photograph by He's Nigel Cliff. <laughs> And uh, at least two of the people in that photograph are, are, are very pleased with that photograph. But um, Andrew, Andrew, you seem to be less, less, less happy about that photo for some reason. Yeah. Well, people just have I to think look you at look it. Very nice, Andrew. Do you think so? I think I it's don't. a very nice picture of all three of us. I agree. <laughs> I agree. So, uh, so yeah. So uh, we we finally got um, the third the third person on that photograph uh, to be with us. And uh, yeah, we've been been chatting about doing this for some time. I remember when I bumped into you twice at the show saying, we're going to have you on the show. And then uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's finally happened. Uh, so it, it's, it's great to have you here. Um, now, you've got quite a few things to talk about, some new stuff and, um, and some stuff that's been going on relatively recently with Intrepid. But I think let's, let's start off with a, a bit of a roundup of how you got here um, we don't have to go into a huge amount of detail because you know the, the story's out there in print and uh sunday 16 was nearly two years ago now i think yeah. you were on there um so if you can if you can give us a little bit of an update as to well a little bit of a uh, bio if you like about uh, intrepid yourself how you got here and then we'll talk about some of the new stuff sure sounds good so yeah so it started um in 2014 which seems like a long time ago and it, funnily enough the large format photography industry was a completely different place back in 2014 it's mad how much has changed since then and um, so the the company sort of started as a university uh, project um, of looking into way, ways of making four by five cameras more sustainable they were sort of not disappearing but very much anyone who wanted to get into it was looking at the second hand market and sometimes they involved a lot of repair work and the knowledge of how to repair bellows and front standards rear standards all this thing how to grind glass was sort of hidden in the depths of some incredibly useful but um, often hard to find forums if you're not sort of in the loop 
Um, so that got me started with the idea of making a, a camera that was sort of uh, designed for the 21st century. So I uh, went from there onto Kickstarter once I sort of finalised the designs and um, on Kickstarter we very luckily, thanks to the support of a, an amazing community, raised um, way above what we were asking for. I think it was, we were looking for about £16,000 and it went up to £63,000 which wow. really blew me away. Yeah, I know. Right? And uh, from there, we managed to go into sort of uh, full production. I hired my first member of staff, James, who is now the head of uh, production at Intrepid and is still working here. He actually just left. And um, he is, uh, yeah, working and managing a team of uh, six people now. So that's really cool. So from there, we went into production after the Kickstarter. We started in a little garage in, uh, in Hove on the seafront. And me and James, and we built the first 400 or so cameras. It took us about a year longer than we said it would in classic Kickstarter style. And then after that, we um, moved to a much bigger workshop and did a second Kickstarter for the 8x10 camera, which again really blew us away with how much support we got for that. I think we were looking for 22,000 and it got up to over 200,000 pounds in the end. Wow. And it just sort of reaffirmed how much of um, a demand there was and an interest in large format photography and how much people wanted to get into it. And from there, we moved to the workshop we are in now, which we moved to just before Christmas, which is sort of a dedicated factory for Intrepid, where we've got dedicated production lines, we've hired some more people. Cameras are flying out at a much quicker rate than uh, ever before, which our customers will be happy to hear. And um, like I said at the beginning, the large format photography industry seems a completely different place to what it was in 2013 when I was first thinking about this. And it's really been a revival, not just down to Intrepid, but down to sort of the community around this. It's It's been sort of an incredible roller coaster of a journey to be on and very rewarding to be part of. Yeah, I, I mean, that's... I think we both Andrew and I sort of felt that at the at the time when we were chatting last last year about doing this podcast. Um, back then, there was a feeling that there was some something going on, and that and that has escalated, and it certainly appears to be growing all the time, uh, which is yeah. which is absolutely fantastic news. Um, just just uh, out of interest, there you've um, you've just mentioned there that uh, you've you're, you're doing well with uh, keeping up with demand. I mean, if somebody bought a a camera off your on your website today how how long do you think it would take before they would actually see that so at the minute it's about six to eight weeks and um, people might cringe a bit at me saying that who have got orders waiting because over christmas and because of the move of the workshop uh, the orders did go up in terms of wait time but we have managed to get it back down now to six to eight weeks um, the reason it takes that time is because an order comes in and then the camera is literally lovingly handmade by us we don't outsource anything really the aluminium parts are cut by us on our cnc machines the bellows are made by us the glass is ground by us we sand and varnish all the wood we assemble everything so it's very much all in-house which is part of the reason the cameras are affordable because we have complete control over manufacturing but it's also the reason it takes a little bit longer to get out to people but the current aim and the team is really uh, working really hard to achieve this is to get the lead time down to one week by the 31st of March. So that's been the big projects that we're working on at the minute. Um, lots of work on efficiency for production lines, hiring new staff, uh, making parts easier to make, easier to assemble, and sort of redesigning how we do things to get down to that target. And so far it's looking good, like we will be able to get 
down to a week lead time by the 31st of March. So people will be able to place an order on a Monday and hopefully get their camera by Friday, which is pretty cool. I mean, that, that must put, you must have a huge amount of confidence there for in the way that uh, things are actually going uh, in the industry and, and for yourself and, and no doubt, you know, future, future lines coming on stream as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm not within it. You know, it's a it's a tough sort of. It's there's no sort of existing models for like how this how there's been a sudden comeback in the assistant industry. That's quite hard to find sort of any case studies online. A lot of people compare it to the way vinyl has uh, made a comeback, and it's kind of. I find it quite easy to understand how human beings would want something more tangible, uh, more physical product in a in a world that's gone very digital, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so I'm confident in sort of my understanding of what, of sort of, not to be too sort of airy about it, confident in my understanding of human nature to think that as we take more and more pictures on our phones, people will also become more and more interested in the complete opposite, if that makes sense yeah. to you. Max, I, uh, that last point about pe- people taking more and more pictures on their phones and, and creating a general interest in, in photography, I abs- absolutely buy into that. The, uh, and, you know, the interesting thing with this resurgence of analog photography is that if folks get interested and they, you know, want to go and buy a 35 millimeter camera, they, they immediately got to go to eBay or to Facebook Marketplace or somewhere. And you're looking mm-hmm. at buying a camera which is, you know, could be 40, 50 years old. And it's, 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 it's really interesting that actually there are now new cameras being produced, but there's, there aren't any new, well, at the moment, 35 millimeter cameras being produced not really any medium format not certainly not in the kind of production that you you guys have have got set up now now this is this is going somewhere this line of questioning because (laughs) how many how many cameras do you think have gone into the market i mean there are others doing it as well but you're the you're you the guys who are sort of leading the way with the with the production lines i mean i i'd I don't know if you're happy to, to to say it to say it or not, and it's absolutely fine if you if you don't. But I imagine it's thousands. But how many cameras have have, have you sold from day one to to broaden that pool? Um, I know I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head, but I know it's over five thousand four by yeah. fives. So so quite a that, few. That's, remar- that's remarkable. We so, sort of- what, sorry, so what, what um, yeah, sorry. But what I'm really interested in is what about lenses? Because no one's making mm. the lenses, are, are there? And I'm really yeah, worried. That's a really good point. I'm really worried that, uh, I mean, I, I've got my large format camera. In fact, my first one was uh, uh, was the Intrepid. No, it wasn't the Intrepid Mark one. I'd, I'd bought a Sinar before that, but then I bought your, I backed the Kickstarter. So that was a few years ago now, wasn't it? Nice. And, and cameras were, camera lenses were, readily available and they look to be still readily available but i'm i imagine they must eventually start getting in short supply so i've done a bit of research into it and um the thing that makes me confident that that's not necessarily going to be a problem is when you think about the sort of the economies of scale of the companies who used to produce these lenses so particularly mm-hmm. the modern lenses the fujis the rodenstocks the nickels and the schneiders um when you think about the economies of scale they had to produce those lenses at, we're operating in a completely different market oh, now. Right. It feels big to us because it's come from very, very small. Yeah, but for yeah. them, when they're operating large format photography, it was still, it was sort of, it was still a niche within 
photography, as in most people would be shooting 35mm, 120 etc. But it was a much, much bigger market then than it is now. So you've still got the legacy of all those lenses. And when you think about the type of person who would have been shooting large format, you tend to have someone who was sort of professional studio photographer and advertising and still life and things like that. And these are the type of people who sort of looked after their gear necessarily. It wasn't really like a amateur photography market so much. It was, and there were depressed photographers. So I think you can still quite easily find a lot of well-looked-after second-hand lenses. The only issue I see with the lenses going forward, and I think this will be... I've mentioned this before, and I think it would be really interesting to see what... if a sort of a digital solution is the shutter maintenance. Mm. And when shutters start to break down, is the knowledge out there for people to fix them? Because the glass, if you look after it, will last forever, but the shutter is a very complicated mechanical thing. And with use, it will wear down. So we're going to reach a point where we're sort of in peak shutter decline, and and what do we do? What do we, what do we do then, basically? But I suppose, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't take things apart. But then, as far as shutters go, large format shutters, I'm going to jump in and say they must be some of the, you know, easier ones to keep going, maybe compared with like a curtain shutter on a 35 millimeter camera, you know, one that follows each other apart. There. Uh, you know, I, where the I, two... I, I think you're right. Um, they they generally are simple, but it, it's it's just think about who who going forward is just repairing cameras full stop as yeah, well. Because yeah. you've yeah, I mean, where's the knowledge? Yeah, yeah. I mean, cam- cameras, you know, modern digital cameras go wrong, and there are people out there that, that repair them. I mean, the the uh, John um, John Machin, who uh, who I send all my stuff to. As a as a dealer in uh, photography equipment, you know, he, if, if something go, goes wrong, it goes to John, and he's his his business is primarily modern cameras. But he he just likes to have a go at the the old stuff. I took my speed graphic to him today, and I'll talk a little bit more uh, later. And I've mentioned a little problem with it, and he was just his eyes lit up, and he wanted to have a go at it because it was different. It's not taking a printed circuit board out and it's not replacing a chip or something like that it's like real mechanics if you like but that ultimately is that and that's really where the problem is because those those skills that he he has from times gone um just aren't as applicable now as they used to be because it's more about swapping things out and putting a new piece in rather than understanding Mm -hmm. the, the mechanics and the the clockwork elements of it and so on so i i think I don't know if it's a case. I don't know where the watch industry is at the moment, but if if there are watch repairers out there and this if they're still making clockwork, I don't know where the, where the watch industry is, but it's that might be a direction. But I imagine a, a watchmaker, a watch repairer, is probably capable of repairing a shutter on a large format camera. I reckon. Yeah, quite possibly. I think. Yeah, I think one potential solution is sort of. A, I mean, it's hard to think of a solution that replaces shutters because there's so many different mounts, different screw threads, different uh, thicknesses they have to be to for different lenses. It's very hard to see how there could be some sort of universal solution. So it would probably have to be sort of a, a repair or maybe some sort of very detailed guide for sort of basic shutter maintenance to sort of keep them going longer. But I mean, again, I've had shutters that are very old and I've had to do nothing to keep them going and they still work very well. They're quite, they're very hardy items not to worry. I'm not trying to worry people. I just could see how that would become a problem before lenses become a problem. I've just, um, over Christmas, I I was looking up at 
a camera that's been lurking on my shelf for a long time. I can't even remember where I got it from. It's a, in fact, I didn't know what it was at first, but until I took it down off the shelf and, and dusted it and, and realized it was a Kodak 3A folding camera. And when I took oh, yeah. the back off it, it had pretty much the same negative space as a 4x5 camera. But the camera, the bellows were shot and everything, and it was just knackered. So I, I took the lens off and uh, 1907, and I'm, I managed to prise the back element off or unscrew the back element, clean the glass. It had gone a bit hazy. Screw it all back together. And the shutter on that, this is 1907. Honestly, every single time just works perfectly. It's incredible. Yeah, so they're fairly hardy things, which is is good to, you know, it's good to know. It's nice to hear that story because this is the type of thing that keeps me up at night. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to depress you, but there are plenty of things that can go wrong with glass in the lens. <laughs> that can, uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I've seen seen plenty of things I, that uh, the bolts and separation is probably one of the biggest issues yeah, with uh, older true, lenses, yeah. um, and that's certainly yeah. not easy or cheap or even sometimes possible to fix. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're right. I just just want to uh, take take you back to um, the the start of things uh, because you, you you said that. Um, you wanted to, I'm not sure if I'm quoting you correctly, by making a, a large format camera for the 21st century or something on those lines. And that, I think that's quite, that's quite an interesting thought process um, because most large format cameras have a certain look about them and yours doesn't look that way. You know, it, it is nothing, look, as far as I'm concerned, nothing looks like an intrepid camera. And there's a, a, desi- there's a design philosophy that, that went into making that. I'm just wondering if you wanted to chat a little bit about, you know, some of the, de- the decisions that you made to why certain things look as they do. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to chat about it. I mean, you've sort of, you've touched on one of my sort of greatest sort of hobbies and passions in life, which is sort of the design side of things. And, um, yeah, the, the camera is the design of the camera is very much informed by the manufacturing method and the material choices. So, in order to make the camera light, we were we had to use birch plywood, which is a sort of a furniture grade engineering material, which holds its very stable, holds its shape. It's also very light and very easy to machine. And the aluminium is also a material that's easy to work with, easy to outsource parts to, and um, it it's also very lightweight which is um, useful because that's one of the unique points about a camera is how light it is so once we were limited to sort of the materials that we could use and the way we could work with them you kind of have a very sort of informed you sort of feel quite narrowed down with the, the way the object can look because of the material choices if that makes sense so the the reason sort of some Ikea furniture looks like Ikea furniture is because they're very limited to materials and people have come People have said that if IKEA made a large format camera, it would look like an intrepid. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure whether that's a compliment or not. <laughs> um, so that's sort of the way it looks. The way it is is because it's not a uh, it's not a sort of a laboured over carpenter's object. It's not something that someone's devoted several weeks to making just one. And they've with these sort of hand tools. It's very much sort of made on modern machinery and then assembled by hand and finished by hand. Uh, so that's sort of why the way it looks it does because the machines that we use to make it have never been used to make large format cameras before he came along okay and in ter- you've, you mentioned there you use certain materials because they were light 
Um, so yeah. that that lightness was was something from the outset that you were you were you wanted to hit a, either a certain point or you just wanted to make it as light as you could. Yeah, it was it was a balance between it being sturdy and rigid and light. But um, from the large amount of cameras I'd used previously, um, one thing I noticed about a lot of them was if you were sort of using them for hike, if you want to take them on a hike or you were sort of using them for more sort of landscape outdoors photography, there was sort of a lot of bells and whistles and features and elaborate parts of them that weren't strictly necessary for that type of photography. And um, I was interested in sort of stripping all that back, back to basics where you've got all the features you need, but it doesn't necessarily need to be made out of mahogany with five millimeters of varnish on it and elaborate brass plating. As beautiful as those cameras are, you know, it doesn't really have a massive effect on the image you take. That's between sort of you and the lens. The camera is a useful box in the middle. And um, I was very interested in keeping the box as usable and useful and light as possible. Yeah. And you're, you're on the Mark, is it the Mark IV now with 4x5? Mark IV with the 4x5 and the Mark II with the 8x10. That's it. So, so what, what's, um, I mean, it, it's, you've had a few iterations then in a relatively short period of time so i'm yeah. just 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 wondering what what were the drivers for from for the initial one to where you are now and you know at what point you do you make that decision i think we should move over to making it this way or using that feature from this point onwards yeah exactly so um so we've done an iteration a year for the last since we started um, but i will say with the mark four and the mark two we're sticking with them for the time for we're going to make sort of little minor changes which are somewhat to do with production and somewhat to do with adding features but i think the design we've sort of settled on now is a is a very it's a very good base to make small changes to rather than make any sort of very big changes like we did with the previous generations so the mark one was um i mean the main thing that's changed is sort of us as a company and how we've learned to make things and how we've scaled up and suddenly certain features don't uh, make sense when you've got bigger and you're producing thousands of things rather than tens of things you can't really and so in the mark one the base was a bit bigger you had sort of it had a lot more components we've always tried to sort of reduce uh the amount of components and sort of reduce the weight and make the camera a lot easier and smoother to use and that's been what sort of informed the changes at each point and when we sort of come up with a new idea particularly the base sort of between the mark three and the mark four was a very different change went from wood to aluminium and added steel linear guides and a, uh, went from a rack and pinion focusing mechanism to a, um, a rear focusing mechanism with a rod. And so when you make those big changes, you do have to release a new model, but we're always sort of updating the design in, in little ways to make it better to use. So, so that change then from, from rack and pinion to, to the rod, was, was that driven by the changes of materials that you wanted to make, or did you actually just want to go to that rod-driven system? So we always wanted to use that system. The reason we chose it was because the prices of the materials became affordable in our price range. And that was because of the sudden boom in the 3D printer market. And the rails and the rod we use are components from a 3D printer. So because those machines were being made in such quantities, all of a sudden the price point went down. So it's an interesting artifact and the machine that they're from we actually use as a machine in our workshop to produce the cameras which is one of those things but that's how manufacturing works so yeah one informed the other and then they just loop around forever is, is that a fairly unique design i mean i'm i, I hadn't really i mean I, I, I 
the it's Mark similar One. To I... the... Who else uses it? It's not. It's not the same, but similar to the Chamonix camera. Oh, is it? it uses right. a rear focusing twisting knob, and I'm not sure hmm. about any others. Uh, Chrome, yeah. Chrome, Chrome is now. I don't. I'm not sure if they did initially, but they they do use that now. Do they? Yeah. Oh, do they? I haven't seen that. Cool. Yeah, yeah I mean the Mark Four is. Uh, I haven't got my Mark One now. I sold it to fund something else, but the Mark no. Four is. Uh, quite a lot different i think that was one of the things having handled it at the show at the photography show last year um i i really couldn't believe quite it was almost like a different camera you know yeah we've come i mean i've got a real soft spot for the mark one but we have yeah we have come the camera has come an awful long way and like i said that's i mean the mark one was sort of something that i built by hand each one and it took ages whereas the mark four is very much a production line <laughs> Uh, products so it's yeah i mean that's informed the change but also we've had so much feedback from the community who have been incredible throughout the process of saying what things they like what things they don't like what we can do better and we've sort of poured that all in and uh, the mark 4 came out and yeah we're really proud of it and you just to take you back very 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 slightly for i guess simon wants to move on to other areas but you talked about the lightweight and rigidity of the camera and getting all those features you know, sort of kind of built, designed into the camera. You, you mm. if you'd have listened back to the podcast, we've had both Ben Horn and Alan Brock on, and I th- yeah. think yes, yeah, so Ben's got your eight by ten. I think Alan's uses a four five. I think he used to. I'm not sure he uses it anymore. I think he had the Mark Three, but Ben he... uses the um, eight by ten Mark Two. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen him. I've seen him use it on his videos, and he spoke about it on the show, and. Uh, I know he's very impressed at that. I think he might have done a few tweaks to to the front standard a bit involving bits of gaffer tape, I think. But by and yeah, large... Did. Think... And then now we've implemented that into the design <laughs> thanks to Ben's feedback, and that's very much how we work, which is really cool. Awesome. That's that's brilliant. But he did... He did... He, did, he was very complimentary about this, the stability of it. He was comp- actually comparing it with his Arca Swiss camera, which was a bit... <laughs> you know, it's it's not really comparing apples with apples, really, to be you know without causing you offence, Max. You know, they're different no, cameras. No, I mean, yeah, no, but, it's but he was different cameras. <laughs> but he, um, the the amount of movement in the front was was about the same as his Arca Swiss. You know, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that so video was... came out, and I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah, and then I watched it, and I was like, oh, we've actually we've held up really well there. We did, <laughs> yeah, a really good yeah, video. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I was quite happy about that. And that's down to these, um, the rails. So they're linear guides is their technical term, which are these ground steel rails that are really, really rigid. Hmm. And um, that's down to the addition of them. They just add so much rigidity to the base, which is where you want it. And um, yeah, and that's and that's why it held up to an Arca Swiss because of that design feature. Yeah, excellent. Well, you've got four by five. You've got 10 by eight. So when, when are we going to see seven by five? Or five by seven. Or five by seven. Or five by seven, yeah. <laughs> um, so, as I was sort of saying earlier, we've, um, in the, we've been going sort of over four years now and there wasn't much requests for the, uh, for the five by seven. And then over the last six months, there's been a real, a real buzz about that format. And it's a format I've shot before and really like. It's a, it's a really nice sort of format to shoot and Ilford sort of readily available to do black and white film for it so i think we're going to start by doing a 5x7 back for 8x10 which is already a very compact and lightweight camera so it's not 
too much bigger than a lot of 5x7 cameras. So that's a good place to start. And then if we can sort of build up an ecosystem in our factory for having regular 5x7 glass produced, the leaf springs produced for it, and the different sort of accessories and things like that, then I think it's certainly something we could add to our, our production line. But um, we've got a few other bits and bobs to take care of first, and then we'll, we will seriously look at it, yeah. Oh, that that'll be fantastic, and uh, and I think yeah, let's 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 move on to the the, the non camera specific stuff uh, because uh, after ten by eight and Mark fours and Mark twos and things like that, uh, was it la- it was last year, wasn't it? Now um, when you uh, released your enlarger um, for four by five cameras, so I think you two saw the. De- I think we had a demo unit in mm. yes. At the, uh, at TPS in Birmingham, so yeah, um, and then we went on to Kickstarter shortly after that. So yeah, that's been out, um, yeah, for a while now, and it's we've fulfilled the Kickstarter, and well, there's I think there's six left who, of people who we're still um, waiting to hear back from, and then we've had it up for general sale on the website for a while, and um, yeah, it's going really well. It's been one of the most rewarding uh, products for me personally because it's sort of completed that ecosystem between taking the picture and actually having a physical print which is something that not a lot of people still do i think it's very easy to take a picture and scan it and share it that way and print it digitally which is a very rewarding type of photography in itself but it's also very interesting to 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 try and create that print without having any computers involved at all and i think that to be able to share that with people and get people excited about that has been um, yeah, it's been really exciting for us so particularly seeing I mean, it always comes back round to people taking pictures of what they're doing, but to see people sort of sharing on Instagram that they've been in the darkroom with our equipment and they've got these prints now hanging up on the walls in their house, that's, that's quite that's quite cool. Now, you print, I know, Max, because you were speaking about it off air. Uh, not that anyone can see any of your photos because you hate social <laughs> media. <laughs> but you, do, you do print. What, what equipment do you use, if you don't mind my asking? So... Um, in Brighton, there's a, a community darkroom, which Intrepid Camera is a member of. Uh-huh. It's based up in the Hanover uh, side of Brighton, and it's very conveniently a 30-second walk away from my house. And so I'm hoping that. you're going to tell me they have DeVere enlargers, because DeVere are of just around the do. corner from Of you. course they do, yeah. Yeah, they have a DeVere enlargers, and they've got a DeVere enlargers. So it's nice. It's a small darkroom, so you rent out for the day, and it's yours, the whole space for the day. You're the only person in there. Awesome. So I use either the DeVere enlarger, which goes up to... Uh, medium format or i use one of our enlargers and my 4x5 camera to um to sh- to enlarge 4x5 and it's a nice space so i would highly recommend if anyone is listening any brightonians out there i'd highly recommend getting involved with that darkroom it's a it's a completely community run not-for-profit thing and it's a lovely place to spend a day and make some prints have, have they got a web presence i think it's brighton community darkroom is what it's called if you google that you you won't miss it Okay, we'll we'll yeah. check that out, and if we if we can find a link, we'll drop that into the show notes. Yeah, cool. Cheers. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, highlights of last year, uh, at the back end of last year, was uh, doing the um, the photo walk in Worcester uh, that Hamish Gill organised of thirty five MMC, yeah. and then that the evening was uh, doing the the viewing of one shot inch and down and uh, nice. and, and uh, david was uh, david was there simon couldn't make it but david was there and uh, and that was that's the first time i actually saw the um the enlarger in in, in action 
yeah. in the world's largest darkroom. And I, I, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just think that was just so cool that you could be that you were involved in that. I mean, not only yeah, use an intrepid camera, but the enlarger was actually was the exciting part for me because you know, it was the first time it'd it been was, used yeah. and so on. Yeah, because they had, I think, yeah, they had sort of a pre-Kickstarter, really early model, and I was sort of nervous that something would go. You always think when you when you build stuff, you always go, oh, something's going to go wrong, it won't work, it won't work. And then to see the final print they made and it being developed in those paddling pools, because it was so massive, and it was great. And it was really nice to meet Simon as well. Simon came down to the workshop to get everything, and um, I think he even kipped in his van outside the workshop for a few days, so it was nice to have him about. And, um, yeah. It was a uh, yeah. It was really great to be involved. I'm hoping we'll be able to do a screening in in the Intrepid factory of that, but we're still in the works of working that all out. But that'd be really cool. Well, you you've got a link to the story with a few photographs on your. Um, I have to say, I haven't looked at it in a while. Your blog on your website, which is uh, which is brilliant. Uh, there's some great. Yeah, so that's one of the things I really wanted to to mention. If that's if that's right, Just, I know it's going to be an outright plug. But no, you plug away, mate. It's fine. Know me, who does all of that side of things is very talented um, in sort of photographer and in terms of interviewing people. Um, she's put an immense amount of work into the blog over the last year. And we've got the likes yeah. of Alex soft, Jason Lee, Brendan Barry, Andrea Costa on there. And it's, it, we don't get much press as like a blog website because of what we do predominantly is as a manufacturer of cameras. So it kind of gets hidden on the wayside sometimes, but it's a really good blog. We've also got, um, some like really good educational articles on there about how to use the zone system and things like that. Yeah, well, you've and got so Richard Pickup. I think you've been exactly. coordinating with. We had him on the show, and we've had Matt. We've Richard had Matt on as well. <laughs> so I'm already looking at your blog and think, oh, these people look interesting. Maybe we should reach out to some of these folks. For yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, Richard's an absolute, absolute hero to do that. So, um, big shout out to Richard Pickup. So yeah, please do check out our blog because a lot of an awful lot of work goes into it, and it's something that we're really. No, I, I remember looking at your last time I looked at your blog. I think you had two or three stories on there. Now it's like on four pages, and there's all sorts of things. Yeah, on that there. was when I was doing it, so it's much better now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking. I'm just conscious that we've we're talking about the enlarger, the intrepid enlarger, but we've not actually touched upon how that actually works. And I'm, and I'm just wondering if you could just mm. give our listeners a, a, a bit of a rundown. The fact that we're on, <laughs> yeah, there's no pictures here, so uh, you've got to be quite obviously yeah, quite yeah. descriptive. No worries. Um, but if you can just explain how it how it works and what what it's about, then the, I think that will uh, that will help a lot of people. Yeah, cool. So the uh, our enlarger is um, not a separate unit as you would expect an enlarger to be. It's actually a uh, light box and negative carrier attachment that goes onto the back of any four by five camera, either underneath the ground glass or using graphlock clips. And then it essentially converts your four x five camera into an enlarger by projecting your developed negative back through the camera and through a lens. Now you can even use uh, a normal large format taking lens. Um, some people say that using the lens you took with, took the picture with to then print it is a very pure type of photography if that's if that's what you're into. Or you can use a standard enlarger lens, and we with the kit you get a um, you get a lens board adapter that lets you use standard enlarging lenses and also an adapter that lets you use the Ilford multigrade filters. So it essentially converts your camera into a fully functioning 4x5 enlarger. And then when you're done, you can pack it away and it all fits in a shoebox, which you can keep under the stairs, rather than having a massive enlarger in your house somewhere and not knowing what to do with it when you only use it. You know, Realistically, people only 
print from time to time. So it's nice to have something that doesn't take up a huge part of your house. You can convert your bathroom into a dark room very easily with this. Excellent. And so we've we we all know about the four four by five enlarger. Are there any any plans to do any anything else with enlargers? Good question. Um, <laughs> so yes, we are we are going to do a, an eight by ten version of our four by five enlarger, which um, is going to be a first for us because it's a product that did not previously exist. So obviously, four by five cameras, eight by ten cameras, and graph. There used to be a thing called a graph larger, which is similar to our four by five enlarger, but there was never an eight by ten version. So since I think we've we've definitely proved the concept with the four by five on, we've got over a thousand of them out there now, and all the fears of them being hard to line up and all and not reliable have been completely pushed to one side and we've got these got people making incredibly detailed and sharp and beautiful prints with them with quite a lot of ease to be honest so i think it's time to scale up to eight by ten so we'll be launching that around the time of the photography show in march actually for this year's show right and uh, you heard it here folks yeah news yeah. breaking <laughs> news first first show of the, of the year and we've actually got something new on it <laughs> Yeah, very excited. We're really excited about it. It's um, there's been a few design challenges. It has to be a lot slimmer than the four by five and larger because um, to really nerd out, the eight by ten cameras don't have a rear clipping system like four by five cameras do. So it has to go underneath the ground glass. So therefore, it can only be as thick as a film holder in a little bit. So it's a different to our four by five and larger. But I think, well, I know we've 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 achieved it. So um, yeah, excited to bring it to the world. No, oh, that, that that's fantastic. And when you say uh uh in time for the photography show you are going to have a i mean you we saw you there last year so you're yeah. going to be there again this year yeah yeah there'll be uh there'll be three of us there this year we've got a stand right by the analog zone which um we can talk more about and um yeah we've got uh we'll have an array of cameras uh loads of stuff for people to play with we can have a couple of enlargers set up i'm even hoping to have a uh, 8x10 camera set up with some instant film that people can play with and take some shots and maybe some Fuji FP as well so people can really get um, sort of get a chance to see how the whole 4x5 ecosystem works but using a bit of instant film just to make it a bit more accessible so yeah we're really excited to be there there's going to be three of us it's going to be myself Naomi and Rocco Rocco's part of the production team and Naomi as I mentioned is part of the branding and communications and all that good stuff so yeah should be should be a good laugh and we were uh, chatting earlier and your, your stand is not you're not just like picking last year's stand up you you've got a, a new stand and it's it's a fair size larger as well isn't it yeah so we've uh, we've doubled the size of the stand so before our stand was sort of we effectively became a bit of a counter and uh, we got told off for blocking the uh, because it was quite a busy stand. We got told off for blocking the path a few times because people were crowding around the stand, but no one could actually come onto it. So this time we've made the stand so people can come on and like really have a play with the cameras and and uh, sort of welcome them into the stand rather than everyone having to sort of stand in front of it and have a look. So, yeah, yeah. you're a, a victim of your own success there, weren't you? <laughs> well, I think we... It was, uh, it was, a, bu it was a busy show. <laughs> yeah. we, we contributed to that, I think, at one point because yeah, there, was, there was probably... 30 or 40 at an analog meetup, which is going to be repeated this year, kind of oh, headed yeah, by Hamish Gill and uh, <laughs> 2016 guys. And we split them into, was it two groups, Simon? I can't remember, but there was, yeah, there was, we, we just wandered about, didn't we, really? Yeah, there was a, a 
what was it? Uh, Graham um, announced this huge number of people. Okay, so who wants to come with me, as in Graham? Um, and then who wants to go with Simon and Andrew? And uh, yeah, we didn't get al- many, did al- we? Almost the entire room <laughs> uh, didn't go. And I think the people that did stay, uh, they were there thinking, well, it'd be you know, let's just a bit of solidarity. You know, shoot film, be nice. Uh, was the attitude that came round with us? But when we did bring our lot round, it did quite swamp um, your stand. So, um, but uh, it was it was good fun. It was nice to see. Oh, it, it, it was great. And now this this year, you've already touched upon it. Um, there is the um, is, is analog zone the correct the correct uh, word? Is that the is that the I right? I believe phrase? so. So this has been very much organised by the Living Legend, which is Hamish Girl, and I believe it's called officially called the Analog Zone. So we'll be as you come into the hall, we'll be uh, on the left hand side, and it's going to have loads of really exciting people there. There's going to be a big zone which has got lots of little tables in it with loads of um, analog companies demonstrating their products and loads of people you can meet who you would have heard about online so you'll see loads of stuff and then we'll be uh, not on that bit but we'll be directly opposite on our stand and then I think there's a few other stands around that area who will have for other analog companies and um, it's the analog present at the photo- presence of the photography show is so big this year that the photography show has had to dedicate a zone to it Now there hasn't been a zone specifically for analog photography for a very long time so well, there's, there's a lot of small, small makers of of things. Exactly, you know, I'm yeah. struggling to think what they might be at the moment, but there are I know who perhaps We've couldn't afford Steve. couldn't afford yeah, their Steve own stand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that yeah, so this is sort of a much more affordable way for the small. What I really want is a is like is there going to be an analog coffee shop in the middle of it all? Because then then I wouldn't want to go anywhere. I'll just <laughs> stay there the whole time. So I've got no interest in looking at. I'll see if we can arrange sort of a nice seating area and some. You should, yeah, some sofas and, and some, some coffee, coffee machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good to me. <laughs> awesome. No, I'm I'm really really looking forward to it this year, and and from a, um, a herding cats perspective uh, that mm. we had last year. Um, I think I think Graham I think Graham turned grey last year uh, trying to try to keep, keep <laughs> his group together. It was hard enough with our group, um, and uh, I think actually, frankly, we gave up eventually. We did um, give up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but having having it was things, a very busy show. Oh, it, it was, but having things just dotted around all over the place was an absolute pain. Um, yeah. So uh, when we when we do the analog meetup this year, uh, it's it's going to be a bit different, but largely because well, there'll probably be like a a get together uh, like we had initially, but so I think that worked quite well. And then it's a case of there you go, there's the analog zone, off you go. Um, although yeah. I'm sure there are going to be some things that we've got up our sleeve to uh, make it interesting as well, um, which uh, we'll I'll, I'll leave that to the Sunday sixteen people to talk about that in more detail. <laughs> Um, but yeah, really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, same. That should be good fun. So, as well as um, cameras and the enlargers that you'll have to either look at or to sell on your um, on your stand, you've been selling uh, some new film stocks, or because your film stocks are, have become a big thing for you, haven't they? In, on your online store. Yeah. So we've got um, yeah, we've got quite a, a good range of films, and for a while we were the only people in Europe with uh, Velvia Fifty supply line, but unfortunately that has now dried up. But a new stocks we've got coming out this week are the Ortho 80 that Ilford very successfully launched um, whilst we were with them in New York, which was very exciting. And we've got that in 4x5 and hopefully 8x10 soon. Because that's been tricky got... to find. I've, I, the Ortho 80 from Ilford I bought some, but it's not been in stock in a lot of places. Yeah, I think it was a lot more popular um, than I... I mean, I knew it was going to be popular, but I think it was basically really popular, so... Um... 
a classic case of it selling quickly. And then we were also going to have the new Ectochrome stock in uh, 4x5 okay. as well, which is I'm excited to see. And that's actually um, priced... I mean, I don't want to say it too loudly in case they've made a mistake, but it's actually priced really well for a 4x5 um, slide film. So I think people are going to be... It's really accessible in terms of uh, being able to buy a box of it, as opposed to when you think about Velvia 50 being over £100, the Ectochrome's going to be nothing like that, so... Yeah, you had the. See a lot of people shoot shoot that. You'd got the Fuji. I noticed you got the Fuji Velvia fifty sold out on one hundred and thirty eight pounds for a box of. Yeah, that was the cheapest we. You're going to say a box of ten, aren't you, or something for that? It must be. It was a box of twenty, I think. Oh, is it? Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah, but that's. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's still huge. It's a massive upfront cost for twenty shots. Yeah, Um, it's got like Foma Pan one hundred that I shoot. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You've got um, the cat right, labs, the cat lab stuff as well, haven't you? So, sorry to interrupt. Someone's just um, at the door. We're about to pause for a second. Yeah, sure. Cool. Right, I'll be right back. I think it's a neighbour. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to shoot some uh, colour four by five film, but uh, yeah, involves scanning it, and I just can't be asked with that, to be honest. Uh, I mean, my my take on it is I'm just not good enough. <laughs> to shoot colour yet, um, I'm I'm still struggling to get good shots out of black and white at the moment. But I think once I've got some level of competence, um, yeah, sh- shooting colour is definitely something I'd, I'd I'd love to do. I mean, there's, I mean, it's the same with four by five or large format in general. Nothing if you if you get it right, it, it it's special, and I'm sure ten by eight's even more special, and and, and so on. But the same is going to apply with colour, and some of the the images I've seen that are shot with with colour, whether it be uh, Alan Brock or um, uh, oh, what's his name, Ben 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 Horn, mm-hmm. um, are, are, are just stunning. And the 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 Alan Brock ones have, that really surprised me um, that they were taken with um, Ektar. Um, a lot of them, and uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes you, I think you can tell the difference between colour negative and slide film. Um, but I, I was, I was convinced his Ektar shots were taken with slide film, and uh, I was obviously I was wrong. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Max's site, uh, the 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 blog has certainly come a long way from when I first looked Hello, at it, and also, that. so I was just. How are you going to? Are you going to do a pause and carry on? Um, yeah, I, I guess so. I guess so. I, th- I think. Sorry, um, yeah. Sorry about that. It was um, my car okay. was in the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll 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 edit that. However, it works. Who knows? We might just keep everything in. Actually, you never know. We'll we'll, we'll see. Um, so I think, uh, go on. Yeah, I was go- I was just going to say carrying on a thing. I was just muttering to Simon about your your website and and following off from how good I think your blog is. Is it a the intention that your site is almost going to become like the go-to place for large format photography because you know you can buy stuff there you can learn stuff there and there's got to be far more scope for learning and you know like a hub of all things large format yeah i think definitely in terms of the learning and education side of it we're really interested in um becoming sort of a repository for any four by five question you might have and that's yeah. really important with getting people into it for the first time, which is really important for the whole ecosystem continuing. I, I'm just uh, just going to say that I think yeah. there's a mobile phone very close to the speaker at the moment, uh, a microphone. I don't know who's got who's got that one. Well, mine's been on all the time. I'm just turning it off just in case it is mine, but it's off now anyway. Yeah, I'm not hearing it now. Please, please so, carry on. Come on. <laughs> yeah. 
so that's right. So I was saying, um, yeah. So we wanted the site to become sort of a repository for all large format knowledge. If you've got any questions, we'd like to have the answer on our website. We've done quite a lot of um, videos recently. We've been working with a videographer to to come up with some cool videos. We've sort of lens buying guides because that can be a bit daunting if you get into mm-hmm. it the first time. Developing prints, even like the darkroom side of things as well. How to load film into film holders. Good tips for that. Um, what you need, just like the getting your head around what actual equipment you're going to require to shoot large formats. So yeah, we're very interested in having very accessible information about how mm-hmm. to use large format cameras and and to get people excited about the idea of using them if people are considering it. Richard Osterland, if that's how you pronounce it, it's Guide to Wet Plate Collodion I've just seen. Yeah, that's a cool one. That's, that's worth checking out. Brilliant. Yeah, there's loads of stuff on there. No, I, I, I think that's probably a, a, a good place for us to uh, start to wind down this section of the podcast, at least anyway, um, because um, I know that uh, Max is on a bit of a schedule and he's been very generous with with, with his time. Um, <laughs> so um, is there anything else you might want to get off your chest while you're still with us? <laughs> About oh, yeah, it's just become a bit of a counselling session. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm very overworked, if I'm being honest, guys. Um <laughs> Now, what we've got coming up, which I'm particularly excited about, Nomi's given me a list of things to mention. So, um, the zine, we did a zine last year, which I'm reliably informed is a small informal magazine. Um, we did one last year that was really successful. We managed to get loads of um, people who have out, been out shooting on their 4x5 cameras to send in work. We put it all together, made it look nice, printed it, and then put it out into the world. Um, yeah. on that cost really just so people could share their work I have a copy and of that got and it, two... it's got oh, pictures brilliant. in it yeah I've got a copy and it's got pictures and words in as well which I love it's not just pictures yeah. but it's got not some words in as well. yeah there's yeah. words that people are sort of explaining their work yeah no it's great I'd it. thoroughly recommend that so I look forward to seeing issue two nice well, yeah we've got issue number two coming out next month and we'll have loads of them at the photography show ah. we only printed uh, 200 of issue one so we're going to print a few more of issue two because it sold out um, in a day so obviously wow! A did it? Who, a few people who missed. Yeah, <laughs> there's a few people who missed out. I might put mine on eBay. More of issue two. <laughs> it's quite a rare item. We did a little re-release. We did a few more. That's so <laughs> we did got another couple of hundred printed, and then they sold out in a day again. So Goodness me! I think yeah. There's a lot of people who are uh, enjoy looking at and sharing uh, tangible images and physical work. So got that mm-hmm. coming out. Um, what else? Oh, we've also uh, teamed up with Wanderer Photo Gear, based out of the US. We've got loads of new camera wraps and cloths uh, uh, over your head. I've forgotten the name of them. Cloths over your head while she's taking the picture. Um, and loads of things like that. That's all very cool on our website, so they're worth checking out. Yep. And we've also got a new series of videos that if anyone is interested in being involved with, please do get in touch, called Peel Pals. Um, the first one is on YouTube, which features uh, Willem Verbeck and Dan Rubin when we were in uh, New York with Vilford um, at the Photo Plus show. Oh, yeah. And it's basically we give um, give people uh, a camera and a pack of Fuji FP 100C, and then they go out into the world and um, have some fun with it, take some pictures, and we just do a bit of chat about large format and photography and things like that. And it's nice. So yeah, the first one of those is up on YouTube now. It's worth checking out. And I think that is everything. Excellent. Well, it's it's been great having you on the show, and uh, thanks for being our first guest of 2020. Hmm. Oh, it's been an honour. Thanks for having me on. So, outside of this podcast, um, what's the best way for people to find out more about the Intrepid Camera Company? 
So um, we've got loads of info on our website, which is intrepidcamera.co.uk. Sorry, should know that by now. <laughs> um, we've also got loads of stuff on Instagram. Uh, if you just search for Intrepid Camera on Instagram, and the uh, main way to find users and people with experience and people just generally chatting about tips and tricks and using our cameras is on the Facebook group, which is called the Official Intrepid Camera Users Group, which is completely run by users. Uh, we're on the group, but just to sort of offer advice for stuff that people are struggling with. And that's a really great repository of knowledge. And like I said before, check out the blog if you want to see what people are up to with the cameras as well. Excellent. Well, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much for uh, being with us and taking the time out. And um, no worries. Yeah, that, that's good. Um, Andrew? Cool. Hmm. Yeah, thank you very much, Max. <laughs> <laughs> and we look no forward to seeing you. To you guys. We look forward to seeing you in whenever it is, March, April. We'll see you in know. March, yeah, at the photo show. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Awesome. All right, well, enjoy the rest of your podcast, and um, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, we can get talk about you now you've gone. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Thank you, Max. <laughs> Thanks, Max. Bye. Awesome. Bye-bye. All right, and uh, so we'll do part one of, well, what we normally do at the start of the show, we'll uh, we'll we'll do that now. But that was mm. just, that was great having that chat with Max. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been something that he's, he's been on our list for for being a guest from day one and yeah. uh we've we 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 finally uh, we finally done it so uh, that's 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 great news although that and I think the, that's massive isn't it even now yeah well yes and i'm i'm loath to add more to it but i think some of these people he's got on his blog are certainly worth at some point um contacting you know because they look really interesting people yeah yeah so then it's been a while mm. Uh, it has. It has. So, uh, what have what have you been up to, Andrew? Um, goodness me, when I, I, I can't think. It's weeks, isn't it? It is. I oh, I made a list. Hang on, I did make a list of things I've been up to. Where is it? It's it's almost as if we'd planned to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I visited Dave Shrimpton. Did I tell you about that? Uh, we've we've had a little chat about it, and I think you've mentioned it on in our Facebook group. But um, yeah, I've I'm sure I've visited Dave really just to go and have some coffee with him, and it was an excuse for him to get all these beautiful cameras out and show them to me and make me feel awfully jealous. <laughs> and uh, and then we we had uh, we had coffee and Kit Kats because that's what he eats for lunch, and then we went into uh, his workshop and his darkroom and his studio, and well. Uh, you know, Dave runs workshops, and if you get a chance, folks, to uh, uh, to join up on one of Dave's workshops, you'll just be uh, you'll have a wonderful day. You'll be inspired. You'll be amazed. He lives in a. Uh, you might break your car getting to where he lives because it's down a bumpy old track. And uh, I turned up, and he said, "Oh, you didn't wash your car before you came down here, did you?" I said, "Yeah, I did yesterday." <laughs> <laughs> there was some bloke in the in the road mending potholes as I went down. He that was his neighbour, I think. And uh, yeah, so it's just this. He just lives in this. What I can only describe as a creative space. He he has a bit of a day job, which is largely involves around working at one day a week, I think, um, uh, or, or a couple of days a month. I don't know what it is for the company that he used to. I think he used to own, I think it's a design company or a print company or something. To be honest, I've forgotten now, but it's one of those sort of things. And so he keeps his hand in, and I think that that keeps him going in film and uh, lovely lenses that he buys on eBay. And then he runs workshops to 
supplement all of that and pay his gas bill, I suppose, and uh, keep him keep him in Kit Kats. So, but he's a lovely chap, and it was really good to meet him. And I was there for probably four or five hours, uh, maybe maybe four hours, and um, learned loads. Really, just looking at his, he's got on those Graflex SLRs, which I slung around my neck, and it's super comfortable to use. Um, uh, and he had a big projection projector lens on it. I want to call. I want to say it was a Bauer projection lens. It was something like that. You'll know Simon probably. I, I, I don't is know how to it? pronounce it. It's, it's no. more like Buell, Buell, Buell or something like yes, that. Yes, that's it? one of those. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's a big kind of orange thing. It was, you know, mm. probably about four or five inches across. Not like the kind of projector lens that goes in my Kodak carousel. This was a big thing mm. in there. But I think he said they're reasonably inexpensive. I think um, compared to say uh, an Aero Hector, I think they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're certainly more affordable. Those the the downside with them, of course, is that you you don't get a, an aperture to play with. But really, if you're if you're actually using a lens oh. like that, the whole reason for using it is is wide open because it's a very fast lens, so you get yeah. a very very small depth of field, so you well, get wacky well, effects. He used it a lot for those um, shots in the lane outside his house. So if you've looked on, if you've seen any of the shots that he shared or the, or even that Hillary Clark shared recently with a, his perambulator parked in the middle of the, of the lane. And that's pin sharp in the middle and crazy swirly around the outside. And I think you'd told me that was taken with an aero ectar, but it wasn't, it was taken with that projection lens and, uh, that's just uh, just incredible, and you you go into his into his uh, into his studio space, and he's got this wet plate camera on a massive wooden wheelie trolley thing, <laughs> and uh, and it's some lovely wooden backs for it, and he he picked all this stuff up for a song. You know, I get really annoyed that people find all this gear and they don't pay much for it, and then he's got this other slightly smaller wet plate camera with his bowler hat over the lens which acts as his shutter and around it around this space he's got like mannequins and dolls dolls in he, he drove down to the m25 somewhere to buy a jar full of broken doll parts because he liked the look of it you know and <laughs> and and that kind of just sits there and 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 so you if you're just looking for inspiration then he's got these barn door spotlights that you can just turn on and it's all very creative, and I'm finding it hard to just describe, but it's just a wonderful, wonderful space. And even in his main house, he's got this kind of conservatory area, which reminded me of a Victorian studio. So it's got a chaise lounge and some ferns and books and, and loads of stuff around. But the lighting is like classic north light facing with coming in through the ceiling and the walls, and he and he and he can and, and he can just set a his large format web wet plate camera in the doorway uh, and that becomes almost like a little studio you know and uh, so I, had a, I, had a, I had a thoroughly great day with him so thank you uh, uh dave for that i mean from from what i've seen of his his, his place it, it looks like something that you get on a, a film where the children will leave the room and go to bed and then everything just like comes to life to life yeah <laughs> Yeah, as long as those mannequins don't start walking about, I don't mind. Yeah. I do find them a bit creepy. Yeah. Well, we've we've got plans to to I say speak to him properly. You spend five hours there, but uh, but we 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 plan on going down to see uh, Dave, and um, and perhaps we might 
uh, record a show while we're down there. Not entirely sure how we're going to do that, but um, but we do have a voice recorder. You, you're experienced on this now, um, having done uh, done the the Odyssey De Vere episode. So well, it was a bit of a debacle, really, <laughs> in terms of the, the way I did it. But I mean, it, it yeah, we did it. It worked. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we either borrow Neil Piper's um, recorder again, or we just buy our own. But yeah. uh, it was fine. So what else have I been up to? I made a large format camera. You're impressed, aren't you? I am. Pinhole camera out of a coffee tin. Yeah, okay. And I, and I hand, <laughs> I hand drilled, I hand drilled the lens to 0.3 of a millimeter, or maybe 0.4. And uh, Dave Shrimpton, when I first went into Dave's place, he was just finishing making some coffee can pinhole cameras, and he recommended the use of McDonald's wooden stirrers as uh, film retainers. So, particularly in a curved coffee can, glue two of these coffee stirrers in. Getting the right size and the and the film just kind of sits there, you know, held between these two film stirrers. Well, I've taken his design and improved it because I I actually use Cineworld coffee stirrers, which aren't flat. They've got they're kind of um, elliptical shapes, and when you glue those on, they actually hold the film a lot better because they they almost um, they do actually physically hold the film as opposed to just holding it in place. And because my four by five camera that I made isn't really a curved camera, it's, it's got a slight curve to it, but it's mainly it's kind of flat at the back. And uh, I shot paper negative in it, Simon, and uh, uh, I rated the paper ISO three and went outside in the garden over Christmas and stood in front of my garden shed for eight minutes and moved my head a little bit because I wanted to be creative. And I got a beautiful paper negative. I've never really shot paper negatives before, and. It's um, got just enough shadow detail. It's got some highlights, and uh, it looks great. So I was really chuffed. I made uh, uh, a beautiful Nest Cafe uh, camera, and it's got a, a shutter on it that uh, is a bit of brass shim that rotates around, and I can lift it out of the way to expose the pinhole. And I've uh, I've pimped it with some Cosmo Photo stickers, so uh, it's. Uh, I was very pleased with that. So that was my pinhole and my four by five adventure in camera making. And then I did I did I tell you that I'd also stripped off a lens from my Kodak three A camera, and I've stuck that on my bomb camera, and I haven't used that yet. But that's got a yeah. I was telling you about that when we were talking to Max, wasn't I? I think it's it's news to our listeners though. I think. Oh, was it? Any, did I, I've forgotten detail. what I, I've forgotten yeah. what I've said on air and what yeah. I haven't. Yeah. So I had this Kodak three A camera, which I didn't know was a Kodak three A camera. It was sitting on my shelf for many years, gathering dust, and I took it down off the shelf and realised that the film area i don't know what sort of film it would have taken but it was a roll film but it was a huge roll film because it had an old wooden spiral and um, a uh, film spool in in the back but the actual image area was pretty much four by five it wasn't it was whatever it was then you know but it was so i figured this little lens on the front would be more than adequate to give me some coverage i didn't know what sort of movements i'd get but uh, at least i'd get some straight coverage the image circle projected would be big enough i i reckoned uh, to, to do something interesting on on my modern, more modern large format cameras, so I stripped this uh, lens off, which was easier than I thought it was going to be, uh, and then I looked through it, and it was a bit kind of hazy, and um, I don't think there's any fungus really; it was just a bit hazy. So I managed to unscrew the back element with the help of um, a, a bit of kitchen implement that I found to take lids off tin cans, 
uh, cleaned it with some isopropyl alcohol, um, dried it, and put it all back together. The shutter from a 1907 camera works pretty much to the second. You know, one second is smooth, uh, goes up to one. I think it might only go up to one hundredth of a second, but uh, so that might limit me a bit. But you know, it's uh, I haven't actually shot anything through it yet, but I was very pleased with myself, and I mounted it on a board and uh, stuffed it in the camera. Excellent. So that was fun. I'm just trying to remember what that what, what that film was called. I've got in my head it's like eight one eight or something like that. I'm not not too sure. I don't know, but it's it's huge. Mm. I've thrown the camera away. The camera was in bits, really, to be truthful. It wasn't really worth. I did suggest, I did ask folks in our little large format photography podcast group, Facebook group, if it was worth uh, trying to fix the camera. I think even Sandeha Lynch probably just sniggered when I posted it. Mm-hmm. So I um, I ripped the lens off and thought, well, I'll use that. I was inspired because Alex Purcell had done something. I think he'd taken a single meniscus single element lens off some old camera and he'd got some beautiful dreamy shots with his including the selfie as well which was yeah quite quite some quite some doing as well from i know uh, reading what yeah. he how he actually achieved and it was it was pin sharp which is more than um, uh, most of us can achieve <laughs> yeah just looking through the back of a camera let alone yeah. uh, doing a selfie yeah which possibly could bring bring us on to what I've been up to. I tried um, to tee you up there. Yeah, I thought I thought that's where it was going, and <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, because I've I've just put some pictures out. Oh, I've only, no, I've only put one picture out. I t- I've taken. I really like it, though. I have to say, I know you're a bit critical about focus, but uh, I think it's a great picture. I, th- I think that's just one of those things, isn't it? You've, I've, we're all probably overcritical of our own photographs, especially if we know they're not, they haven't turned out in the way that we we want them to. Um, and this was certainly the case with this photograph and the other five photographs, which um, I haven't shared. Um, all of which, every single one of them, was back focused, um, and uh, the the, the the issue that I had was uh, I was using my newly adapted Aero Ektar lens uh, mm. to my uh, still pretty new to me speed graphic. Yeah. Shooting wide open at 2.5 with a 172 millimeter lens with a, with a wafer thin depth of field. Uh, I mean, it's. I think it's one of those things. If you're doing this with with a a, a person and you're focusing on the eyes, it's and you're doing it using the ground glass and then then saying right, hold, hold still while I just put the film in and just stay there a little bit and I've got everything all set up and then that's it. I've taken the photograph now. It, there's easily enough time there for somebody to move a few millimeters or a percentage of an inch, which is enough to actually take that the the eyes out of focus because when i was actually focusing on my on this picture of my father uh, that we're talking about here and he wears he wears spectacles and when i was magnifying on the ground glass to to get the very precise focus i could choose you know do i want to be on his glasses do i want to be on his eyeballs do i want to be on his eyebrows you know the, it, it's the the depth of field uh, was tiny so um so that that was that was tricky for me so every single shot uh, was out of focus and uh, all of all of them were focused slightly behind which 
it's puzzling, puzzling me a little bit because I'm thinking, well, there's con- if there's consistency with my mistakes, um, it could be that I've just done the same thing and everybody else does the same thing and they just tend to move backwards instead of moving forwards. That, that, oh, sorry, moving forward instead of backwards. Um, or there could be a discrepancy with my ground glass and film plane. And this is something that we were chatting about in the car only, only this afternoon. Um, because I was just coming away from my lens repair man and more, more on that, uh, uh, later. And I've already touched upon that subject. Um, and I was, uh, I'd already asked him, you know, where, how often is it that, um, the film plane and the ground glass aren't in the same place. And he looked at me like as if, well, there's never a problem. I've never had that problem. He was saying, and, um, you rang me back, but so I'd already been talking to you. And you rang me back and um, you, you started quoting Ansel Adams at me, didn't you? I did, yeah. Because some things were going off in... I've, I've read lots over the years. I don't always retain it, but I, I normally retain bits of lots of things, <laughs> which is a very useful skill in life, yeah. I find. <laughs> Other people have not... Uh, we'll, we'll call it some unkind things. But I, I went to Ansel Adams' book, The Camera, which I'll thoroughly recommend if you uh, uh, if, if you want to... Uh, if you want to buy all three, it's the camera, the negative, and the print. But this one is the camera, and he talks a lot about uh, constituent parts of not just large format cameras, but uh, medium format, and uh, to a lesser extent, small ones. He talks about bellows extension. He talks about um, the way the image is formed, uh, depth of focus, depth of field. He talks about camera movements, the Scheim-Flug principle. He has. Um, he promotes the use of beer mats. No, he doesn't really. <laughs> and uh, but he does. Uh, under on page thirty-seven, he says this. He says uh, one surface of the ground glass is textured ground uh, to provide a plane for focusing the image. It's important that the ground surface face the lens, since this is the surface where the image is formed, and it. And it must occupy exactly the same plane of the film when the holder is inserted. So I'm assuming he means by that um, cameras that generally are set up so that the ground element faces the lens and because that's the same plane where the film is. So that's um, by implication, I think that's what he's uh, saying. Um, He says, in some cases, the ground glass will incorporate a Fresnel lens whose purpose is to provide even illumination over the entire picture area. I don't, he doesn't say where that should be, but I think from the discussion we've had in the past and what folks say, it's not so critical. Um, although if you look on, uh, if you look on Intrepid's website, I was looking a while ago and he talks about, Max talks about Fresnel lenses. He talks about it being on the, um, uh, on the person side of the ground glass, not on the lens side. Yeah. So I don't know, Simon. I, I, I'd be interesting little debate for folks listening. What what you think of Ansel's quote? And uh, I guess he's right because he's Ansel Adams, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote so you, you're, you're focusing. You know, the the ground glass is 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 of a thickness, and so the the actual point of focus will be at some point there. It can't be all the way through because otherwise, you know, it's got to be. It's got to be on one side or the other, so it kind of makes sense that it's going to be on the on the bit that's ground. And Ansel says that's the bit that faces the camera. Have you had a chance to look at yours yet? Since I've I, told you that, I've, imparted that bit of wisdom to well, you. Well, I've pulled my camera out as we speak, um, 
and I'm just looking at it now. And certainly the the Fresnel, if that's what we're calling it, is on the user side. Yeah. Um, and it's Arca Swiss, it says on it as well, which is nice. Um, mm. It's an expensive bit of Fresnel. A bit of plastic, yeah. Um, but I'm looking at the... On, on looking on the lens side of the camera, the internal side, and it doesn't look ground to me. It looks, it, this looks like the shiny bit. Okay. Um, it's mm. quite, it's, it's not entirely obvious, but I would say that, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's shiny. So I'm, I, I'm only guessing at this moment that underneath the Fresnel is the ground side. Um, mm. I need to look at this properly and I'll, I'll, I'll dig Report out another back. camera just, just to see if, um, uh, the ground side can actually be shiny, just in case I'm being completely stupid. Which well, is uh, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. I have to say, I haven't looked at mine yet, but I will do a bit later. Yeah, <laughs> probably do it tomorrow now when it's daylight and I can see properly. Yeah, well, it's 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 given me doubts now. Certainly. Um, well, you can always, as we said, you can before you go poking around with it and changing it around, set something up, you know, without a person in, and do some critical focusing wide open and see if they're as sharp as they appear to be exactly and and that's that's the plan although i'm, I'm just looking at at this now and just seeing just how easy it will be to actually swap out the glass panel and it's not not that straightforward i can't i can't see how it's how it's done uh, there's no obvious way on my mm. uh, meridian it's really obvious uh, mm. and it's simple and i've i've taken the glass out um before but on this one not so not so straightforward i'm sure it is pretty straightforward but i just need to look at it so i don't know if i'm going to have a chance to do that before i go out tomorrow because i was planning on using this camera tomorrow um and now i'm a little bit nervous about it because yeah if if my screen is the wrong way around then that would absolutely explain why all of my shots weren't focused correctly so well according to mr adams it might do yes yeah your I mean, father, I was trying. I did try and enlarge the photograph on my screen. It, it, I think the focus looks to be on his, on the pretty much on the collar behind his head. I think is that about right? Yeah, ex exactly. They're all all the shots are focused behind. Uh, all mm -hmm. all six shots consistently in more or less the same kind of area. Um, so that's what's making me think. Yeah, it could be a, fl a film plane issue. And if it's if it, that screen is throw me out then then there we go that that would explain a lot so there might be some really clever people listening and just kind of guffawing at our conversation so that's you're talking total <laughs> nothing, nonsense nothing new nothing new there is there? <laughs> um, but the the thing is that the, you know somebody may have been using if let's make the assumption that it's 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 incorrect and it's only an assumption um you know if somebody's been stopping this down to you know f12 16 or what, mm. whatever yeah it wouldn't make the slightest bit of difference no yeah so no. you could use this for for donkey's years without having any problem but you you slap on there 172 millimeter f 2.5 mm. with a razor fine depth of field yeah. then your, your critical focus is is critical so, it is so yeah so we i may have Maybe. discovered something there so uh or maybe not. It might just be me, and uh, I could just take a photograph and just see how it goes. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. And you've been three D printing things galore. I I have, and that actually ties in with uh, just just going back to the fact that when I was chatting to you last, I was driving away from my lens repair man. I'd uh, I dropped in on him uh, to say that um, I've actually got a, a I wanted to 
uh, get the rangefinder uh, adjusted because the, the the horizontal wasn't quite in in alignment on the uh, on the speed graphic, and um, and while I was chatting to him, I was saying, "Have a look at this. This is my Aerorector, which you've seen before," and uh, and I was showing off uh, a 3D printed lens board that I'd designed and made and printed and fitted uh, to my Aerorector, and. I wasn't entirely happy with the way that it was fitting on the camera. And this is something I've posted on Instagram and Twitter and in the Facebook group. So yeah, there's lots of, uh, lots of photos and things you can refer to here if you want to have a look at what I'm talking about. Um, but the issue that I had was the lens, uh, the back of the lens was too wide to go through the rear standard. And some people, uh, haven't done a bit of research. They've, um, uh, filed down, uh, the rear the rear standard in 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 top top bottom left and right just to give it enough clearance because the it's almost like the thickness of paint uh the stopping it going in there but i i, I didn't want to force it in and i and i certainly didn't want to file down the uh the the, the camera hmm. um so the the other so what i'd actually done was just created this um lens board that allowed the lens to sit effectively on the lens board uh, with a with a long cylinder uh, extension which was actually not really an extension it's just literally supporting the weight of the back part of the lens and that was using a, a friction fit it's uh, because I, I couldn't print a a, um, a thread that's as fine or or would be as robust robust enough to actually um, cope with uh, this lens so it's uh, so I just made the whole fractionally smaller uh, than it needed to be and then sand it sand it down and until the point where you could get the lens in but it wouldn't drop out yeah and that was that was working really well but the the, the problem was is the first part is like that it's it's actually it's a really heavy lens on that camera it's a 1.5 yeah. kilos not sure that is an old money um but i was never entirely happy about the fact that all of the weight was on the lens board none of none of the weight was going through the lens board to try and even attempt to balance it um so i i then printed a little a little stand for it which uh, sort of did a job and mm -hmm. uh, and that sort of brings us up to date so I, I take this up to uh to see john to have a look at the rangefinder and uh, we didn't really do much with the rangefinder was I, I told him about the lens not being big enough and he then took it upon himself as being a bit of a challenge to make it right and uh, to make it fit um and he is the initial thought was well just make this hole in the in the front standard a little bit bigger and it'll go in and i uh, said nope not doing that and he goes well how about taking a bit off the lens now i was under the impression that there's like a, a cylinder at the rear of, at the rear of the lens that could be unscrewed and because this lens is like 80 odd years old and it's just seized um, much as a lot of the lens had seized which is why it's taken me so long to actually get the thing in use um and uh, he was saying he wasn't entirely sure of this bit that i thought would screw off would screw off because he was uh, of the opinion that that's actually just holding the rear elements in there and it won't just screw off but um yeah we're, we're making guesses there um and then he goes to me well how about we just file this bit down and just flatten it um and seeing that the you know the, the lens has been butchered in a few places and it's got dent it's got fungus and so on um a little bit of filing isn't really going to do any harm to it that hasn't already been done uh, so he literally just just gets his file out and uh, file, files it down four four places top bottom left and right and 
a Presto, it now fits through the standard. So uh, I've got, I, it will once I've uh, finished sanding down my new uh, lens board, it's gonna it's gonna fit uh, nicely. Which that brings us on to the the 3D printing bit, uh, which is the Forster family present for 2019 for Christmas. Um, three of the family have been really thrilled uh, with the uh, the Forster family present. Um, I've, so who isn't? Come um, on. Well, I, I, it, it appears that I may have to buy something else for Christmas for my wife. Um, <laughs> so. You mean she didn't appreciate being included in the in the family present of a 3D well, printer? As far as I was concerned, she was included, but you know, she's just decided that it's not really for her, uh, surprisingly. Not, have you not sort of wooed her, brought her around with all the things you could 3D print for her? Yeah, there is that, but it seems like the only thing I can, the only things I can three D print are things to do with cameras. Um, that's, <laughs> it seems that's all it can do. Um, so that's all that comes that's been coming off it. Was the uh, the first thing that I I printed uh, was a negative holder mm -hmm. for the uh, seven the Devere seven oh five enlarger that was donated to the uh, Six Towns Darkroom by Stephen Segersby, yeah. and uh, so he. When I when I went to collect that, he he lent me uh, the the negative holders, which I I measured with a micrometer, and then I input inputted all of that into some software, and it spat spat out something that a three D printer would uh, understand. And uh, incredibly, um, the the two pieces I printed off just worked straight away. Did did you go running through to Mrs. Forster and with an excited boyish grin all over your face? Of course, and, and she, I bet she was ecstatic for you, she, wasn't she? She 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 she, she smiled knowingly. And, yeah. uh, you know what you need to do? Make it up to it. Buy her a nice top of the range ironing board or something that'll really <laughs> that'll really uh, straighten her out and make her feel loved. I'll, How about that? I, I I'm not so sure about that, um, but I think maybe three D printed some flowers. Maybe that that that, that, <laughs> yeah. that could be the way to go, and they'll last longer as well. Let's face it, so they'll be more practical. Um, yeah, so yeah. I think yeah, that's that's the way to go. So, uh, so yeah, so I've three D printed uh, those. I've done some lens caps for exacto lenses, um, and mm. uh, and then yeah, these um, these these lens boards, uh, and it's yeah, I've I've really enjoyed doing them, and um, and they work, which is the, uh, the the incredible thing. Everything I've actually done so far has worked, so uh, I'm having great fun with it. And it's just a, I think it's one of those things that's going to become more prevalent in society as as yeah, you know, they start yeah. to well, make Dave these things a bit better. Dave Shrimpton had one uh, in the corner of his darkroom, which yeah. I don't think he'd used yet. It was still sort of covered in plastic. It's a, they're, they're, they're funny things, but they're not they're not prime time yet. Um, it's going to be a while before you see them in you know, high streets uh, um, shops where you can just go there with a with a vague understanding of how they work, put some things in, and get something out of them. They're just not like that yet. It will be eventually, I, won't it? I, I think it will. I, I, I see no reason why not. And uh, they're just they're just such useful things. Um, but you, know, you don't. I mean, I've got quite a big one, and it's <laughs> well, hey. yeah. So, so that's what she said. So they said, yeah. And um, yeah, most people wouldn't need one quite as large as as, as this one, but they, <laughs> yeah, or know what to do with it, and so on. Um, I think you just need to stop. Yeah, I'm 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 printing a hole for myself, aren't I? There, but you uh, are actually. But no, ser ser seriously, I remember the years 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 ago when personal computers first came out. So I had a ZX eighty one youngsters listening to this show if we haven't he won't remember what the 81 is i had spectrum 
And well, the ZX81 would had 1K of memory, so you'd take it home, you took it, I bought it from WH Smith's, and I unplugged it, I, I unboxed it, and you plug it in, and you're faced with a cursor blinking on the screen. And if you want it to do anything, you then read the book which came with it, which was which taught you Sinclair basic programming language. So if you wanted to make this cursor move around the screen, you had to write a program for it. And now, of course, people just get a computer or a laptop or, or anything, really. And all of that stuff is, is way hidden. You know, first we had DOS, didn't we? And then we had different versions, and then Windows came in. And so the user interface <laughs> means that you don't need to have that knowledge of computer program anymore. You can just unbox your computer, and you can do all sorts of whiz-bang things on it with, with no understanding of what's going on. And maybe that's the way it will go with 3D printing. You know, that's when it will really take off. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you're, you're right. Uh, I'm not sure where we are in terms of the big scheme of things. I've been quite surprised to find out that people have been home 3D printing for like five years now. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, yeah, certainly uh, <coughs> I've mentioned him certainly off air, I think, to you, Todd Slemmer, who makes 3D printed pinhole cameras and makes the files available on... Um, want to say free to air what's that uh, no what's that open source open source that's it yeah it's been a number of years since he i think it must be at least five years he's been printing cameras well on the subject of printing cameras uh ether moses camodactyl brancopan Mm -hmm. that's uh have we talked about that on this podcast i know we've done the classic lenses but perhaps we haven't um i've actually you know why we didn't do it because it's not large format but i think it's just worth just touching upon that um especially that ethan was a, a guest on our show as well and he he's did, a guest on everybody's show he's everywhere he's a, well we came up with the term pod tart for him didn't we and that we did. seems to be sticking so uh so he's he's been <laughs> going going around but more to the point he's he's uh come up with this 35 millimeter camera that's uh, a panoramic camera because it's designed to work with a, a Mamiya uh, universal press lens. Yeah, and uh, and that went on to Kickstarter last month, and I think I don't think it's actually finished yet, but uh, it, it it's got its backing, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. So the idea was that if you backed it to, from at least a dollar, um, if it reached its uh, goal, which it has, uh, then you'll get sent the STL files, which is the file that the 3D printer understands and will spew something out. Um, so Dave is going to be giving those out to anybody that's paid uh, a dollar. And uh, and if you've paid more, then you, you get uh, more things such as uh, a laser. That, uh, was it uh, an etched laser? An etched, etched knob. Uh, yeah, an etched knob. Yes, you can have an etched knob. Um, so uh, when I've got an etched knob coming my way as well, so uh, mm. which, which 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 is good. So I'm really excited about that, and I'll be able to print that next month. So uh, so lo- looking forward to that. Um, so is that it? I, I think I think that's pretty much what I've been up to. Uh, I'm getting knowing looks or glares from my missus saying you haven't eaten yet. So, yeah. but before. But it's only food, isn't it? This is much more interesting than eating. I did make a, a list of a few things. I've been looking on the uh, Facebook group, and there's a, just folks. If you if if you don't regularly visit our Facebook group, here's a few things for you to look for. Uh, former guest of the show Wayne Setz has posted uh, post some great videos actually, and he's posted another one about using uh, fi- making use of filters for lenses that are either small. I've got weird filter sizes. 
and he uh, using some sticky back foam and some uh, old filter casings. He makes a little little adapters for fitting forty nine millimeter threads, uh, threaded filters to old filter um, to old to old uh, uh, lenses that probably don't have standard threads on or anything so that check that i've not explained it very well but if you if you go and look at wayne setzer's video that he posted i think just within the last day or so um the other thing i know is that the stearman press makers of the sp445 developing tank their eight by ten daylight tank has landed um certainly it's gone out in the states and I notice it's in the first call photographic catalog that uh, came through my door today. I'm very excited when the first call photographic catalog drops through your door. So that's been listed in there. And I suspect it's available at Morco Photographic as well. They're a small company up in Newark. And I believe they are the main importers of the Stearman Press equipment, or at least they were. Uh, and he then supplies it on to people like First Call. So that 8x10 daylight loading and developing, daylight developing uh, tank is is available for folks who are looking for a way of developing 8x10 film. Excellent. You, are you familiar with the Stearman Press 8x10? I, I, I am. Um, been following it? Was, it? I need, well... Well, I've certainly been... I was looking at the, the 4x5 one, and... and uh, which ultimately ended up just making the one that I had work. And my combi plan actually mm. successfully daylight developed something in my combi plan uh, for the first time since I've had it uh, only only two days ago. So um, having owned it for a year, um, so that, that's 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 good news. But no, the actual ten by eight one, I've I've seen it, but I've not really got into it uh, too much. No, I haven't really. I was what well, I followed the the design the design process of it is quite good at sharing all the various ups and downs of the design process. That's been quite interesting. But it's got various inserts. You can do, I think, four four by five sheets, and it has inserts for five by seven, uh, things like that. So um, seems to be... I think it's based on the old, what is it, the Patterson Orbitals-type design, um, that sort of thing, that a tray that has a, a light-type opening. Have you got one of those? Yeah, or, I, yeah. I, I have, yeah, uh, which... I do need to do some digging as to how you work out your times for developing that because it's a, it's constant agitation, so it's mm. obviously a lot it's a lot shorter. Um, I guess I don't know yeah. where to, I think I've already asked this question once, but I, I don't think I've got an answer. But uh, about where to actually look to find out times for constant agitation of film. Um. Well, you I've can, looked very hard. The, yeah, the manufacturers all produce. PDF data sheets, don't they? When I've, Ilford produced a great set of PDF data sheets, which give all sorts of useful information, it may well be there. Right, right. And I'm very keen and excited for uh, dry, the dry plate availability in the UK because that Kickstarter is coming very rapidly to fruition. I think with all the, you know, the dry, Jason Lane's uh, and Steve, uh, Steve Lloyd's, uh, uh, the pick. Pictoriographica. That's it. That's the word. Pictoriographica. So chromographica. Chromographica. So that's, yeah. that's going to be shipped soon-ish, I think, by the looks of it. Well, and, uh, bit, bit I, of think... an I can give an update on that. Can you? Yeah, a, a short one. And that's uh, because uh, we've just done episode 100 of the Classic Legends podcast. Mm. 
and that was a little bit of a special and yep. uh, and one of the things about it is that it's pretty much designed for youtube um so anybody that's listening to it as, as an audio thing oof, it's not not easy listening uh, because it's all about designing lenses with the software that jason lane uses to design lenses yeah. and they don't look at look at it on your computer screen don't look at it on on your laptop on your t on your phone screen i think yeah i think yeah that's a, that's a really good tip yeah you need a, de a decent size screen um and uh but anyway as, as part of that episode at the end of it, i did ask him about how how it's going and i think he's got one more one more run to do mm -hmm. um so and hopefully then it will be good to go so uh it, it sounds barring any hitches any hamish gill style hitches and pixelator um it looks as though they've they're very very close to to getting that that going anyway he's, he's got a level of confidence um largely based upon he's done some similar kind of things with some of these people before so yeah. uh he's he's it's, it's looking good well I, I reached out to paul from analog wonderland i've been buying odd bits from him recently and chatting with him via instagram messenger i think it was and if i if i read his cryptic remarks to me properly he's actually got stocks of glass plates ready to put out on his website i think whether he's got to just work out final selling prices or stuff i don't know but he announced uh, across two and some other stuff the other day and he's he'd already mentioned to me in 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 the in his uh, message that he had those and i'm sure he, that he was hinting to me that the dry plates were ready to go as well so that's really exciting excellent that's good news and uh that's it really for me okay okay well uh one one more thing that i just want to touch upon and that's to say mm -hmm. thank you to those people that have uh, donated to us on coffee that's ko-fi.com um just search class not classic lenses podcast search large format <laughs> photography podcast um and i, I just think you have to web but you have to have the in front of it i think to probably find it. yeah mm -hmm. there's a reasonable chance that might be the case i don't think the search engine works that well uh, which is no. uh, but it's in our notes to know if you want to just find our notes and it is. you can just click yeah. on it and it just takes you there um yeah. but uh, i just want to say thanks to the three people that have donated to us since we were last on uh i say three but i'm not entirely sure if james thorpe uh donated and we said thank you to him last time i can't quite remember but i think uh, we say thank you to him every show certainly most of them definitely um and so let's say let's say thanks to james thorpe again um yeah. he's done that thank and you, what we've been on air uh we've we've had a donation as well which um was that from max <laughs> uh, no it was it wasn't no um but i'll come on to that in a minute because we had one on the 18th of december uh okay. and that was from christoph Sieglin. Um, and he goes, uh, you, you made it to the Hall of Flame, Hall of Flame, oh dear. Uh, by the way, I, I was guest on Back in Paper on the Sunday 16 podcast, which is their email show. And yeah, I thought it was a curious choice for you to be on that. Yeah, anyway. yeah. The worst reader out loud of things in the world uh, was me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think I only actually read out one letter and it was one that, I, well, one email and it was one that I actually sent into the show a couple of weeks prior and I couldn't read my own email. So um, yeah, there, there you go. So uh, Graham, Graham did all, all the rest of them. So I just commented, which is a lot easier. Um, so uh, Christoph Siegling, you made it to the Hall of Fame within just 18 shows. <laughs> um, I don't know where this Hall of Fame is exactly. Um, but uh, a big thank you uh, for your thoughtful 
and inspirational interviews as uh, as well as just the right pinch of technical topics um, thanks to simon's insistent questions it seems I, I can now understand the zone system at last. And uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's a case of, yeah, if I ask you... Maybe you can back- write back in and explain it to Simon then. <laughs> yeah, because I've forgotten already. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, I've, I've got some vague idea about what the zone system is now. Um, so yeah. um, I'm glad, I'm glad you've, you can understand that now. Um, and then finally, um, in today... Uh, in the last few minutes, uh, we we have Christopher J. May, uh, another oh. uh, uh, long-time uh, donor there to the podcast. And he goes, um, so... Uh, be, uh, being, <laughs> Go on, Simon, you can do it. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. Here we go. Being, being a bit again... What? I, I don't know. I don't think that's actually me. I think that's actually what he's written there. You're not helping me, Christopher. Um, I've been a bit again, but have really enjoyed catching up on the previous episodes. Maybe one of these days I'll actually find time to get my large fear, large fear, large format gear out again. Um, out again too. Cheers, gentlemen. Thank you, Christopher. Really appreciated there. Um, and we don't we don't mind you know we're getting behind on shows and catching up eventually. In fact, that's probably the reason really why we actually just didn't do any podcasts for the last month or so. So uh, so yeah, so thank you very much for those 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 people who have donated to us. Um, yeah, thank you. Okay, um, we haven't had any emails for ages, which means that we must be doing an absolutely brilliant job of explaining absolutely everything that we say on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't think of any other reason why we don't get emails. Um, but if you do want to email the show and uh, we and, and we'll discuss your email, um, time time permitting, uh, how what's a good how would people do that, uh, Andrew? That's a very good question. I think they might want to use an email address that goes something like. The large format photography podcast at. Go on, you can do it. Yeah. I, I G- want to say G- ya- G- Gmail? Ooh, Yahoo? It might be Gmail. I don't know. One of those. It's Gmail. Gmail? Is it? It is. It is. I think my other one is the one that Corey uses is, um, is Yahoo. At G- so the large format photography podcast at gmail.com. That's it. You can probably be really old school and put googlemail.com as well. I'm sure that'll probably make it as well. There's a reasonable chance. But stick with Gmail. Stick with Gmail. It'd be lovely. We have, we, I don't think we'll ever be in a position where we have to do an email show, fortunately. But, uh, yeah, come on, guys. We like emails. <laughs> yeah, and and there's also another way to uh, listen to the show other than the way that you most people are doing it with uh, podcatching software itunes and all that kind of stuff and that is on youtube it's it's not a youtube show it's not video it's uh, just a picture um but you can you can listen to us on youtube and you can also put captioning captioning in there and have a good laugh to see how what youtube thinks that we're actually saying i've yet to actually check in fact we should really do this um so i'm going to say scheinflug principle um and just just to see what <laughs> uh, what actually comes up there uh, when, mm. when it says that and uh I, I guess my pronunciation might confuse it just a little bit as well maybe um so that that's it um any shout outs this week andrew no not really from i've shouted a few people out haven't i wayne and uh Dave yeah. Shrimpton. Okay, and uh, well, I'll, I'll give my usual shout out 
to the Six Towns Darkroom in Stoke-on-Trent. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's where I go on a Tuesday night uh, from 7 o'clock till quite late. Um, so if anybody wants to come down and uh, do a bit of printing, talk cameras, doesn't have to be large format. Um, but it will actually be able to use our large format uh, enlarger we've got one thanks to Stephen Segersby um, so uh, we've, we need to get some uh, those uh, what are those filters called that go underneath contrast filters uh, the, and the holder and all that kind of stuff so yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're slightly limited on on contrast but we've got some old grady paper Mr Mr Cad is you can get them for about 35 quid which is about half the list price and, and so that seems a reasonable price that does. That sounds very reasonable to oh, me. Oh, you can go to Mr. Cad and hit hit him up and he'll find some for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds a, a, a good idea. So uh, if you're in Cheshire, North Staffordshire, uh, Eastern Shropshire, Western Derbyshire, um, just come down um, and uh, you can get in touch. Best way to do it, and I'll just do my, my contact details at the same time now. Uh, I'm on Twitter is Simon Four, and I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. So you can use either of those two things to uh, message me directly if you want to get some more details about the Six Times Darkroom and uh, you know, where it is and all, all of that kind of stuff. And it's free as well. Uh, certainly the first couple of visits are free and you can print and do stuff and it's all for nothing. Uh, and because we just... And they charge you 20 quid a session after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just take bank details and just, just take out whatever we need. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's 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 my shout-outs and uh, you can also hear me on the Classic Lenses podcast as well every, every week. Mm-hmm. Um, how about yourself, Andrew? You can catch me on Twitter at uh, Warboy Snapper. You can catch me hanging around the Large Format Photography Podcast Facebook group. I'm on Instagram as Warboys Snapper. And you can hear me every two weeks with Cory Cannon, the, the wonderful Cory Cannon on the Lensless Podcast. So we'll be putting one of those shows out this weekend, I believe. Our Facebook group's ace, just got to say. It is. Yeah, there was um, it's not the time to perhaps chat about it now, but there was an interesting this rant i suppose it will say it was not so much a tweet more of a dawn chorus uh, by emulsive m for emulsive about whether twitter is quite the friendly community that it used to be and uh, i i did make the point that, well actually you know, the two uh, facebook groups that i help run um are really really engaging and friendly and i think it's because people want to be there they have to make a commitment and if, and they have to positively go to be in that group, whereas Twitter, you know, any pretty much anybody can join in, can't they? No matter what your interest. Yeah, and I've just realised I do have a, a quick shout out to make because uh, at the end of back in paper, um, you'll hear uh, Graham talking about a postcard that came through, and uh, I was sitting here and he was starting to describe this postcard. And I was thinking that sounds familiar. And they described it and goes, I've got one of those as well. And and I'll just, I'll read out part of it because it's addressed to Andrew and Simon first, but also to Johnny Perry and, and me again. Um, and uh, and it's a darkroom print on postcard paper. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it's a, it's a it's a good print. And, uh, but the thing is on both my postcard and the one to Graham, uh, or Sunday 16 to be more precise, it didn't actually say who it was from on either card oh yeah so mystery a mystery 
a mystery one. Now, I do actually know who uh, sent it now because he, he did actually send a, a, an email having, having heard me talking about this and uh, Graham talking about this on, on backing paper. And the I can announce the, the mystery sender of the postcard was none other than Graham Young of the Homemade Camera Podcast. And he, oh, yeah. he, he'd forgotten. He'd just forgotten to stick his name on both both cards. <laughs> so uh, we knew he was from Florida, but that was about that was about the only clue that we really had on it. That uh, postcard paper is is uh, is really good, and I um, I promote it where where I can and uh, recommend well, it's definitely you something, but we've we appear to have uh, lost andrew there um so <laughs> we're going to leave you everybody hanging as to uh, what andrew was about to say about this postcard paper but i can say though that uh, thank you graham uh, for sending this that's graham young um for the homemade camera podcast um and uh, yep, great. it's good to have that. And that's actually pretty much the end of the show, anyway. So I know Andrew's decided to go off and eat his tea. Um, so no, I just want to thank uh, everybody that's uh, that listened to us. Thank you to Max, who was on the show earlier. That was a, a great chat that we had there. And that's it. Our music is called Two Finger Johnny, uh, and that's by uh, Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and it'd be great if you can come and listen to us in another fortnight. So goodbye. Bye. And goodbye if you can hear me. Andrew. Did you lose me there? You still lost me. Hello there, Simon here. I'm back at the end of the editing and I've just realised that something that even more horrible went wrong with the recording than I thought. Uh, because it actually turned out that, well, as you've already just heard, Andrew was never actually left the podcast. And what actually happened is I switched my volume off. So I couldn't hear Andrew, you could hear Andrew. And that's why I ended up talking over him at the end. So uh, really sorry about that, Andrew. Um, that's it. So uh, I've already said goodbye, but I'll say goodbye again. And you heard Andrew say goodbye. So hopefully you'll listen to us again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs>